the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Great to be with you today on this great afternoon. I hope that you are doing well. A couple of days ago, I mentioned that the United States Senate is considering a a bill called the Respect for Marriage Act, and it's not about that at all. This is from Albert Moeller's website and podcast today. This is his comments on it. Let me just remind you, there are at least two huge problems with this legislation. Number one, the very essence of the thing, the purpose of this bill, make no mistake, the purpose of this bill is to put the full faith and authority of the United States government behind the subversion of marriage, the denial that marriage can only be the union of a man and a woman. It explicitly puts the United States Congress, and thus, once the President of the United States, Joe Biden, signs it, as he is eager to do, it puts the United States federal government in the position of opposing the scriptural and creation-revealed understanding of marriage. The only definition of marriage, by the way, that leads to the future of civilization, otherwise known as babies. All right, so uh, to get you up a little bit before, you might be saying, I thought that the Supremes had already made gay marriage and, uh, you know, already a thing. And that's true that they did through the Obergefell decision, but there was a threat to that decision that was put out there by Justice Clarence Thomas in uh, part of his remarks uh, going with the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. And President Biden and Democrats in Congress have been saying that they want to codify gay marriage, essentially. Okay, so what they're doing is they're presenting this as if it's just a codification of gay marriage. But this is something that we have seen um, done here in California with Proposition 1, where they said it was just codifying the law the way it already is in California for Proposition 1. That was not true. We understood that actually it would allow for abortions to happen at any time during the uh, a pregnancy. Uh What this is doing is something else. It's not just simply codifying gay marriage. What it is doing is it's undermining further marriage altogether. And it is a threat, probably not to your church, but maybe to your church. But certainly there are lots of red flags for nonprofit organizations that might deal in areas of adoption or foster care. Things to do with kids. My friends, they're coming after your kids. This is the the kids part. It's not right or left. It's it shouldn't even be Democrat or Republican. We have got to realize that there is something going on this hour. I'm going to tell you a little bit about why and what some of the thinking is and why this is getting so complicated. First, I want to make sure that we understand what this bill is. You should call your senators here in California and uh, ask them not to vote for this when it actually comes to the floor. It is going to come to the floor. Um, and you might be saying, well, why do they want to further destroy marriage? See, and I, and I want to point this out, too. This isn't about love is love. 
Okay, this is not about, hey, you know, what if two people just love each other, then they can still love each other. Uh, Of course they can do that. The government could have just said, hey, civil unions, and uh, you can have a civil union, a contract between two people, and make it mean whatever you want to. You didn't have to call it marriage. And then some people said, well, yeah, but that's still not equal because marriage has a different connotation to it uh, than civil union. I mean, whenever you proposed to your spouse, you didn't say, uh, would you uh, join me in a civil union? You probably didn't say it. It doesn't have the same romantic. I get it. Okay. But legally, it's, 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 there is something else here. And the reason, you see, the Supreme Court could have just made all marriages civil unions, and that would have kept the, un, the, um, everybody's equal under the law. And that was the idea with the marriage argument is that you can't have two different classes of citizens, and some people get to be married and other people don't. The other direction the Supremes could have gone with that is to say, okay, all marriages are actually now legally civil unions, so under the law, everybody is the same. And then if religion wants to call it a marriage, then religions can do it however they want. That would have been another way to do it, but that's not what they did. And instead, they redefined marriage to be something that other than a relationship, a committed relationship, the union of a husband and wife, which is the way it's always been. Okay, since in every culture everywhere, that's that's how it is, and we believe as Christians that's how God ordained it, going right back to Genesis 1. Okay, and there's a reason for this, right? There's a reason because all the way through from the Christian perspective on marriage, you have Christ and the church, you had in, in the Old Testament Israel and the Lord, and this relationship of salvation and all the things that it means, and marriage, the word marriage between man and a woman has all kinds of religious connotations. It actually is religious. It's actually very Christian or maybe very Jewish marriage. It's something that the state got involved in, though, because there has been an understanding throughout all of human history that you need people to be married in order to continue civilization. And that's something here that Albert Moeller says. And by the way, if you want some evidence of how the disrespect of marriage, the subversion of marriage that's been going on in our culture, how it is having practical effects, let me give you this statement that was made by uh, Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer. He's not talking about marriage here. He's talking about immigration and why we need to um, bring citizenship to people who are here illegally. So we're not really talking about this issue, but I want you to hear what he says right here. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Right, now I want you to listen. Now, ignore the immigration debate or what you feel about that one way or the other. It's important issues. There's things that we want to talk about. But I want you to hear this of what he had to say about what's happening in our culture right now. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own. That's the thing. We have a population that's not producing on its own. You know why that is? It's because we're subverting marriage. It's because we have lost the purpose of marriage, the historical purpose of marriage, not just the Christian purpose of marriage, but even the purpose of marriage from the standpoint of how to build a a civilization, all right, how to build a culture. And we're seeing this throughout the West. And, you know, and please don't, don't blame gay people or don't blame people who are just aren't even thinking about it from that 
standpoint, there's a lot of different things that are a part of this, okay? Uh, our attitude altogether in the sexual revolution about what sex is and where it belongs and pornography, all of those things are contributing to the fact that our culture, the United States, Western culture in general, is not having enough kids, okay? And I want you to understand this, because when we're talking about the subversion of marriage, we cannot go down the road of saying we're trying to enforce upon this culture something that is part of the Christian religion, and we want people to do a Christian act um, and force people into a Christian act. That's the wrong argument, okay? Now, you know, individually, people need to respect what God has done, and that's part of our, you know, everybody's relationship with God. I believe one day every person is going to go get to meet God, and I don't think you're going to win any argument with him. None of us are going to do that, okay? So you might argue with God about what marriage is. He's going to tell you you're wrong, and he is the authority because he is the creator. What I want us to understand is this movement that is about, then they call it, it's very Orwellian, okay, when they actually call it the Respect for Marriage Act. It's actually subverting marriage even further. And then the place where it's going to impact us, okay, is with our kids, with adoptions, with foster care, with nonprofit organizations who are trying to build up the family. Can you can you just stick with me here for a little bit? This is Southern California Live, by the way. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. If you want to join our conversation, give me a call, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send an email to SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Albert Moeller on his website uh, continued with this. The other big problem with this legislation, and again, I say it's called the Respect for Marriage Act. It actually represents a profound act of disrespect for marriage. But the other aspect is the damage to religious liberty. And this is the place that matters. And it really matters, I think, for, for everybody in our, in our country. Now, I'll step back here and also say, as a believer in Jesus, as somebody who believes Jesus, which I think matters a lot, right? We need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to believe Jesus. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against this church, he's right. So we don't, we don't really have anything to worry about as far as the capital C church, okay? I think that God is doing things to stir up the church, to focus us better on making disciples and the gospel and what it really is and the truth of God's word. And there's a lot of hurt that might be coming our way because of these kinds of things. But there's also a national impact and, you know, if you're talking to your non-Christian friends or your non-Christian family, you're going to have Thanksgiving next week, and uh, later on we're going to do a, a, uh, a segment on, you know, what are some topics you don't want to come up at Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> which I think is a, is a good one. Maybe this is one that's a complicated one in your family, gay marriage and, and those kinds of things. I understand that. There is something beyond just the religious argument. There is the – there is this – the way God created things, the way that God has ordained men and women to be together, what a man is, what a woman is, made in his image, he's done this because it works. He's done this because in the reality that we live in, in the world, this is how a society will function in a fallen world, okay? This is how things work, is a man and a woman come together, they commit to each other, they have children, they teach those children, they raise those children. That's how it's meant to be, right? That's why God hates divorce. It's why there is a, a lot of instruction about marriage and instruction about sexuality and those kinds of things because it's for our benefit. 
Uh, it's not something here to force on other people from the standpoint of, you know, you have to believe, you know, these things are going to force it, you know, by law in those ways. But this one has been something, and what I mean by that is you can't force people to believe stuff. But you can take a look at these things, and often they're called Judeo-Christian ethic or other things in the in the culture. There have been things that for the entire existence of humanity have worked in a culture. And one of the things we know is that when marriage is subverted, when kids are not being born, when kids are not being raised by a father and a mother, and I know many of you, this is hard because you are a single parent or you were raised by single parents or you've got a situation. I get it. The reason it's hard is because it's not really the way it's supposed to be. And that doesn't mean you're not doing a good job. That doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out a mess. You know, you just have extra challenges. We have to acknowledge that. What God teaches us, how God has instituted things, as believers, it's important that we understand not just that this is something that we check a box and a belief for. This is something that is true. So we have this legislation happening, and what I want to continue to explain is why it's undermining who we are as a people and undermining marriage and why this is happening. Albert Moeller continued uh, with this. In this case, it's important to recognize that yesterday, Senator Mike Lee of Utah put out a statement saying, quote, I offered to support the bill if the sponsors would include my amendment to prohibit the government from removing tax-exempt status based on religious beliefs about same-sex marriage for or against. The sponsors adamantly refused even to consider that. Senator Lee then asked the question, why? And that is a great question. Why? Why would protections for nonprofit organizations who have religious beliefs, why would those protections not be a part of this? You see, this is the the same analogy that I had with Proposition 1. Why not put in the same restrictions on late-term abortions that are current in California law? Why not add those to the Constitution as well? Why leave them out? And the reason is, is because it will open the door to changes in how we view abortion, how we view human beings, the kind of decisions that parents can make in in a panic at the end of pregnancies. That's the reason. And it's money at the end of the day. At the money, at the end of the day, we're talking about money here, okay, Uh, with a lot of these things. When the gay marriage issue, we're not talking about gay marriage so much. We're talking about kids and how kids are being raised and the ability for nonprofit corporations that happen to be religious, Christian, of course, but they could be Muslim or they could be Jewish or they could be, um, you know, Mormons, other faiths. They have certain rights in our country. You know, if you study world history, it's ultimately religious freedom that is something that drives cultures into freedom. And the restriction of religious freedom and religious liberty that takes all liberties away. It's a very interesting thing. So that's why this matters. There's a concern that this legislation is intended, intended to strip away religious liberties for nonprofit organizations. Albert Moeller continued this way. The very fact that Senator Lee would say that he had offered to support the amendment if it would make clear that there would be no removing of tax-exempt status based on religious beliefs about same-sex marriage, the fact that the bipartisan group turned that down, well, that should tell you everything you need to know. That's something I think is right. Here is, here's Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, his complete statement. 
Uh, and you're listening to Southern California Live. We're talking about the so-called Respect for Marriage Act that is moving through the Senate. It has passed the barrier to uh, cloture, meaning that it got 62 votes. Twelve, twelve Republicans voted in favor of it. Um, and uh, that means it will go to the floor for a vote where it will very likely pass and it will pass the House uh, as well. This will happen before the Republicans take over the House next uh, January. Probably it passes the House even after they do, by the way. Uh, so this is, you know, and Biden is going to sign it, the president. So this is a done deal. But we need to be aware of what has, you know, I want to say it's a done deal because you can call your congressperson. OK, you can get out there and still fight it. But what I mean is right now it has enough support to pass. Uh, you can call me and join the conversation. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. This is Mike Lee's full statement. He said, I voted against the motion to proceed Uh, to the Respect for Marriage Act because the religious liberty protections were severely anemic and largely illusory. While I respect the efforts and emotions surrounding this issue, the bill does not simply codify Obergefell, that's the gay marriage decision, uh, court decision, as its proponents claim. See, this is the same, same path as Prop 1 here in California and elsewhere in the country. Mike Lee continues, he says, and despite the proposed amendment from Senator Collins and Baldwin, These are proposed amendments that would protect religious liberty. The religious liberty protections are woefully insufficient. He says religious Americans will be subject to potentially ruinous litigation while the tax-exempt status of certain charitable organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits will be threatened. My amendment would have shored up these vulnerabilities, and it's a shame it wasn't included. That's the threat here. And in, in conversations in our approach to it, we have to realize that this is not re-arguing gay marriage, whether, you know, in, in the culture, there's an argument to be had for that. There's an argument about what marriage is. There's all those different things. Okay, this is about religious freedom, all right? And, and because you don't put in those protections, when you deliberately don't, it certainly raises questions. And you know what people do today is they go, ah, you know, they're not coming after uh, all of these charities. They're not going to come after all these different groups. Of course, they're not going to do that. Well, you know, we say that, but think about where we are just were just a few years ago. If you change the definition of marriage, you know, some people said crazy stuff is going to happen. You're going to have people wanting to uh, marry not just one person, but two, and people who want to do all kinds of things in relationship. And all of that stuff is happening now. Uh, all of the stuff with the, the transgender arguments that are going on, the gender surgeries, the different laws about all of that, whenever the... Obergefell decision happened, things got unleashed, all kinds of things that wasn't just about two individuals saying vows to each other and making a commitment. It's far beyond that. And this is something that I think when we talk about it, we have to be aware that this is about civilization, these things. That when you hear a Chuck Schumer coming out and saying, we're not having enough babies, that's why we need to make um, everybody who's coming over the border are citizens. What he's talking about is the ability to support um, our government programs, the ability to pay taxes, the ability to support what we're already doing. And see, normally a country that has healthy families, they continue to have babies, and those babies grow up and have babies, and they keep passing along whatever inheritance there might be or not be, or it keeps dividing up, and the the society grows, the economy grows, things are very healthy. That's a big part of what's going on kind of under the surface. If you think of the 200 and, what are we coming up on, 250 years of our country just about, 
any culture in the world. In fact, if you look at the weaknesses that are going on in Europe, if you look at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the problems that are going on even in Russia, like why is Putin invading this other country? What's the point of that? You know, in, in Russia, they believe that they don't have enough people uh, to support the Russia that already exists. And so in Russia, Putin's given people, I think quarterly, you get a day off to go home and have babies, right? That's a, that's a certain holiday in Russia. It sounds like a good idea to me, frankly, but for other reasons. For Russians, it's important. And one of the reasons you take over the neighboring state is not just for their ports and not just for the business of the oil and the crops that are in Ukraine. It's also because you need more people in order to survive. That's going on in Europe. I think Spain is so far behind as far as childbirth goes that Spain is going to become essentially a Muslim nation um, because of all the Muslim immigrants that are coming over from Morocco across the bay. And that's the way of things. But the reason that that's happening is because childbirth, because of the breakdown of the family, because people have decided it is not so important. There are... There has been a change in the way our society philosophically is moving forward. And we're going to take a break in a few minutes. And when we come back, I'll explain that a little bit in a way I think that it can help you understand it. And, and I know that this can be kind of complex because it's so easy to say, well, we already have gay marriage and most people are supportive of it now. Even Republicans are voting for it. And, uh, and so what? There's something else going on. And it's not something that should, you know, the conversation is not about gay people getting married or about all of, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, Christian ideas for marriage and sex and those things. It's something that is much bigger, that's tied into so many of the other things that are troublesome in our culture. And uh, so what we're going to do is when we come back from the break, we'll talk about that a little bit further, and I will take your calls. I see a couple of you on hold right now. 888-528-2557 is the number. I do have to take a break, and we'll come back for your calls. 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I'm Scott Furrow. I will be back as the Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. The other big problem with this legislation, and again, I say it's called the Respect for Marriage Act. It actually represents a profound act of disrespect for marriage. But the other aspect is the damage to religious liberty. We are talking about the Respect for Marriage Act that has moved through the biggest hurdle in the Senate and uh, it's not going to be filibustered again, so we'll come to a vote. Likely will pass. And we need to understand that this is being touted as simply a codification nationally of the Obergefell court decision, Supreme Court decision that legalized gay marriage. But that is not what this is. It uh, does not provide protections for nonprofit organizations, religious nonprofits to have a, a certain point of view. For example, if you're Christian nonprofit says, hey, you know what, we only want to provide adoptions for um, families where there is a mother and a father, male and female. Um, right now, they have the legal right to do that. Supremes have ruled on that. They've said, as long, you know, as long as there are other groups out there that would do differently, then things aren't unequal. Um, this is, I believe, and many people believe, threatening to 
the nonprofit status of any religious organization who might have a belief not just about this, but about transgenderism, about other things, that being taken away and they would lose. And ultimately what happens is you get, as Senator Mike Lee said, you have a proliferation of ruinous lawsuits. Very often the way that you take down somebody that you don't like or an organization you don't like is you just throw a bunch of lawsuits at them. And even though they might lose, the punishment is the process, right? The punishment is going through all of that and the costs that are there. And you can ruin companies simply by suing them, even if it's frivolous, uh, if you can get it long enough in the court where they have to spend a bunch of money. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join our conversation. JT in Huntington Beach, welcome to Southern California Live. Scott, thank you very much for taking my call. Appreciate your show and appreciate your uh, the, your, your thoughtfulness and the way you bring um, some clarity to a lot of these subjects. Appreciate it. Thank you. Know. You're welcome. Yeah, I want to bring something up and get your your get your uh, response to it. Um, one of the things I think that's happened in our culture is we have people brainwashing people into thinking that the way that people think now is the way that every generation in the past always thought, which of course, as we know, is is not true. I think there's a lot of people whose eyes would have glazed over if you'd ever brought up some of the, you know, idiotic, um, you know, ideas that are being advanced today that, that you talk about in your show. It would have been unthinkable, you know, and then you slowly brainwash people to accept something that which they previously nobody would have thought of. What's an example of that? Well, when Schumer brings up immigration and says we need to increase it because we're not producing enough babies. You never would have had John Kennedy, who was president 60 years ago, make an idiotic statement like that. I was watching an interview with him when he was, uh, when he was president, and he said that uh, in the future what we want to have is an educated workforce with skilled labor. And, of course, what someone like Biden and Schumer are promoting and others, including Republicans, have promoted is just the opposite, an unskilled, uneducated workforce. And, of course, you throw the abortion situation in the last almost 60 years. So you have a lot of missing people there that would have been citizens in our country, and they're using this as an excuse to just bring in massive numbers of people. And tell me if you think I'm out of my mind. I mean, we don't have the carrying capacity limit to bring in millions of people like that, and it's just out of control. It's not the way we did things historically until this last generation. Yeah. And I'm just saying, it's it's not it's nuts. Well, what's your thoughts about this? Well, thank you for your call, JT. You know, I think that what has changed is the reason we're doing it. He's He is saying something, I mean, it sounds nuts, but from what I understand from economists is that if we don't continue to grow in population, and Europe has the same thing. People have said, why is Europe bringing in all the different refugees from these different – is it because we're kind to them or is it something else? And a lot of people say, no, it's necessary in order to maintain the social programs because you need the taxpayers going forward. Now, th- think about this for a second. Boom, Baby boomers are retiring now at huge numbers, right? And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Social Security numbers, there is no Social Security trust fund. That's a myth. It's just, it's just a line item in the budget. We're not putting in enough money to support the retirees now who are living longer than was ever expected. Imagine if our population goes down. Imagine if the number of taxpayers who are still working uh, plummets. Well, then we can't support Social Security. We can't support Medicare. We can't support any of our social net programs. Everything will collapse simply for the reason that you don't have enough people. And that is one of the other reasons. Now, see, and it used to be that we did want to be, bring people in. I think we still as a culture have this somewhere where we do want to bring in immigrants and we want to educate people and we want to put them to work. And that's a good thing. 
But the the random way we're doing it now, where we're not building the infrastructure, we're bringing people in for you know just whatever reason. Maybe it's to create votes later or other stuff. But a lot of people think a lot that it has to do with just supporting the continual growth of government. And uh, you know, if you don't have enough people, then you don't have enough tax dollars. And if you don't have enough tax dollars, you can't grow the government, and you can't do all the schemes that uh, government people like to do. Government is a monster; it'll just keep on growing um, until it collapses. And so that's a big part of where Schumer is coming from. And you're right; we the the con- conversation has changed, where we're not really even having a good conversation about immigration and the morality about it. We're having an economic conversation and a political one, but we're not really caring for people the same way. You're right that the that people are saying things that they wouldn't used to say. Bernadette writes our email line, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. She writes about the child-free movement. And what this is, and she describes it correctly, that young adults, and we're talking about adults, okay, who are or dedicating their life to being child-free, even having hysterectomies or or vasectomies before they're ever married, before they, and just with no plan, we're just never going to have kids. Um, They think that being child-free is a cornerstone of their personality, of their identity, of who they are, and they call their parents things like breeders, and uh, they call kids crotch goblins, she writes, she's right, or spawn. It's a very dehumanizing thing. And this is where our society is headed. And part of what I want us to understand is there is a reason for this that has gone on over time, and we have to catch up. I think the church is behind at understanding a lot of the thinking here. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number, if you want to join our conversation, is 888-528-2557. We're talking about the Respect for Marriage Act that's going through the Senate right now and its implications for religious liberty in particular. Rudy in Anaheim, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, thanks for taking my call, Scott. Yeah. Go ahead, Rudy. Um, Yes, um, I have a a few things. Um, One is kind of like a clarification question, and I'm not Christian, so um, I used to be, but usually when I hear Christians talk about the biblical marriage, they usually are referring to something that was uh, said in the Old Testament, and I was was curious how you would define biblical marriage. Okay. Um, I would define biblical marriage as a marriage between a man and a woman that is meant to be uh, symbolic of the relationship of Christ and the church, or in the Old Testament, it would have been Israel and uh, the Lord. That the the purpose of marriage, the reason that God created Adam and Eve to be together and called them one, the reason that uh, we have marriage throughout the Bible um, as between two people, male and female, is because God has designed that relationship to reflect the the plan of salvation for Israel and for in the Old Testament and for the church in the New Testament. Does that make sense? That it's I see what it's, you're saying. It's far more than just ma- male and female and and having kids. That there that biblical marriage is that it reflects the plan of salvation. And so as a Christian, what I would say is for Christians to go against that is to go against the actual plan of salvation. I would liken it to a Christian saying that uh, Jesus is not necessarily the Savior. Does that make sense? So I think a problem for Christians sometimes is that we 
enforce a a we try to enforce a moral thinking on non-believers that is not the whole picture of what Christian marriage is about anyway. Um and that's why, you know, some people thought the Supreme Court whenever they made gay marriage legal that they should have just made all legal marriages civil unions because marriage really is a religious statement. Um and then you could have a civil union if you wanted the legal protections, but then you get married in your church and you know the difference would be is the pastor doesn't sign the marriage license because it's uh-huh. you know you know what I mean does that help I see what you're saying, and uh, I think that would have I agree with that I think it would have been helpful that way Christians can keep their you know religious marriage and then other folks can be you know you could have had uh, equality because then right. it would just be a contract between two people and the state can do whatever yeah. they want with that. That doesn't mean it's a good thing or that it would be all right, but it would be different. I Yeah. So I'm curious where you get that image of, like, a biblical um, marriage, just because you referenced, like, the Old Testament, and I see a lot of the Old Testament figures, even the ones that are allegedly close to God, they had m- many wives, and that wasn't necessarily between two people. And there was also lots of other relig- uh, customs where— for example, if you were married but you didn't have any kids and your husband died, you were you had to marry his brother so you can bear his children. And I can't. And that's, I guess, what, what at what point does <clears throat> at what point does uh, the the like our modern your I guess your more modernized version of biblical marriage went like how did that come about? Yeah, that is an excellent question. So I'll give you uh, just a little bit as we we have a little bit of time, you know, or not really a lot of time for it. But that is a, it's a great Wait, question. Before you answer that, yeah. before you answer that, um, my I guess the second part was I see divorce as a much bigger threat, and actually it did has done much more damage to marriage in America and the the family unit than let's say gay marriage. Mm-hmm. But I don't see evangelicals coming out against divorce. Yeah. I see evangelicals embracing divorce and, like, for example, they want to put into policy that gay people should not get married, but they don't want to put into policy that divorce should be illegal except under infidelity. Yeah, I think on... Like, on ima- imagine that. Yeah, I think on that particular issue, you're right, is that, that the church... Uh, particularly when divorce was becoming more normalized in our society, right? So kind of where we are is we're really at the end. You know, the the gay marriage thing is so far down the road from where marriage has been subverted. It's really not uh, the biggest issue. I think you're right that divorce is a big one. No-fault divorce, which was a big concept that uh, was, you know, accepted uh, by a whole lot of people, uh, which, by the way, hurts women. You know, you have no-fault divorce in California. The guy went out and he cheated, and and, uh, the guy wants a divorce, and it's no fault, so you split up everything 50-50, except it's not 50-50. She's still probably going to raise the kids. Now she has to go out and get a career that maybe she didn't have before. She has those burdens. The guy's supposed to give money, but he doesn't really have to, and he can go out and marry somebody else and and, uh, do all of that, and all the burden falls on her in no-fault divorce. It's a a terrible thing. And the church should have fought that. The church should have been outraged about that. Hey, I'm I'm curious if you would support, like, a measure that would put that back into law to make make divorce illegal. Well, at least to be uh, more biblical. Um, Rudy, i got to take a break. Can you hold on through the break? That's fine. 
All right, Rudy, thanks for holding on. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. When we come back, I will talk about uh, his question. It's a great question, by the way, and uh, an important one. And I think all of the this this subject, and we're not going to finish all of it in this program you know, today, but it is a good thing for us to talk about. Christians need to have the right dialogue with with these subjects because sometimes we're we're asking people to be Christian um, to act like a Christian before we ask them to believe in Jesus. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. The number is 888-528-2557. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only- that was Senator Chuck Schumer talking about uh, the need for immigration and making uh, people who have come over the border citizens. We're not really talking about that this hour. What we are talking about is marriage. We're responding to the Respect for Marriage Act that's going through the Senate and uh, the damage that could do to nonprofits. And we've been talking about how to really talk about marriage in general as Christians. Uh, on the line with me is Rudy from Anaheim. Thanks, Rudy, for staying with me through the break. Yep. And uh, Rudy had a couple of questions. One is the idea of biblical marriage. How did that develop? Because in the Old Testament especially, you see uh, lots of exceptions to one man, one woman, some with multiple wives. And uh, sometimes if uh, somebody wasn't able to have a kid, then the husband would go um, be with someone else to have kids. There's, there's things like that. So let me, let me start here. And then you also had a question about divorce, whether I would support uh, legislation uh, you're saying outlawing divorce. You know, I thought about it, and what I would think first needs to happen is the church needs to address divorce from a biblical standpoint, and then we need to look at our divorce laws in the country because, as I said before the break, they're not helping women. They're actually very much stacked against women, and we say that they're equal. We say that no-fault divorce is good, but actually it harms women uh, and ultimately harms the kids. That's a whole nother subject and a good one, but that's kind of where I would be with that. Here's here's a New Testament biblical definition of marriage, and obviously this is a, a much deeper topic, you know, uh, Rudy, but I'll give you just a, maybe a starting point, okay? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 4, some Pharisees had come to ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You'll often hear that line at the minister will say that at the end of a wedding, right? Therefore, what God has brought together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate for divorce and send her away? Because in the Old Testament, God, he says, I hate divorce. That's an Old Testament quote, okay? But he allowed for the Israelites to uh, be granted a divorce in certain circumstances. So they said, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And keep in mind that the the context of your New Testament, the only scripture they have is the Old Testament. The New Testament isn't written yet. All right, it's happening. So whenever in the New Testament they're talking about the scriptures, mostly until some of the letters refer to each other, they're talking about the Old Testament. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. 
But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And, you know, right there, if you start to break this down, you have Jesus endorsing from the time of creation. The Creator made them male and female. And so your your concept of a biblical marriage, male and female, it begins in Genesis, and Jesus endorses it here, and he has these things to say about divorce. You're correct that the church has not dealt with divorce biblically like they need to. Um, how did it develop over the Old Testament when... You know, Solomon, who wrote, you know, there's a whole book in the Old Testament about marriage, love, sex, dating, marriage, all of it's in there, Song of Solomon. Why should we trust it when Solomon had uh, 700 wives, right? Uh, You know, the joke is, well, who would know better? But, right, but the seriousness of it is that what you have in that book is a description of the way it ought to go, and that Solomon was not a perfect person. And you have in the scriptures, when you study all of the scriptures together, you you have a development of cultures coming together for what is true. And you have this development of marriage the way it should be at the beginning in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they got kids, they're together forever. You have the fall where sin comes in the world, everything's a mess, and including a mess is marriage. You know, biblical marriage is a a term we have to be careful with, because in the Bible, you don't see a lot of examples of actually good marriages, right? I mean, who's, what's a biblical marriage model? Well, most of them are terrible. Uh, you got uh, the New Testament, um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting their names, I was going to say Ananias and Sapphira, They're not a good marriage. Like, they were a team, but they died for it. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, maybe your best biblical example of marriage. You can study those guys. Things developed over time. So God is, um, all throughout the Old Testament, you have passages and prophecies about what marriage should look like because it reflects God and Israel. One man, one woman. New Testament, it's continued, Christ and the church. And that is the design. And it's something where God reveals this over time so that it can be understood. That's why we have it. The Bible never says it was okay for Solomon to have 700 wives. In the Bible, um, when you have a situation where uh, the wife is unable to have kids, so the husband is to uh, take uh, her sister or whoever and have a child, you have two different situations. One where they're doing that because the entire purpose was once again to have babies. And the problem with marriage not being marriage is that the culture dies if people aren't having babies. And your Old Testament purpose is to bring about through the people of Israel the Messiah, the Savior. So you've got to keep having babies. You also have a story, which I won't describe, but you can send me an email and I'll send you the text, of a guy who does this, but he does something to prove that he's not trying to have a kid. He's just trying to enjoy it with this person who's not his wife. Um, and bad things happen to him because God is displeased. So when you really study what's going on, you have a very clear picture biblically about what God's expectation is for marriage, what it should look like. And by the way, you also have in this passage, in the New Testament passage, you have Jesus giving these commands, and Jesus, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount would say, you know, anybody who even looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. And you probably should ask, well, who can live up to that? Uh, And the answer is nobody. That's why you need a Savior. And the reason that uh, we don't worship the church and that we don't say that the church is infallible is because it's very fallible. We worship Christ. 
the reason we need a Savior, the reason everybody needs a Savior is because all fall short of the glory of God. And we believe that everybody's going to face Jesus one day. Uh, you said you were once a Christian and you're not any longer? That's right. You know, you know what I would, wherever you're at, and uh, we don't have a lot of time here, you can call another time or send me an email, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Whatever your struggle was there, go back to who Jesus is and whether or not he rose again from the dead. You got to start there. If he did, then you got to reevaluate. If he didn't, then you can forget it. Well, I appreciate the the chat. Um, but one more question before you cut me off: um, How do you now you have the biblical marriage or your own like your own de- definition? How why why should I, as a non Christian and fellow American citizen, want to believe? How do you convince me that that's a good idea without using the Bible? I guess. All right, that's a great one, and I I will let you go here because we're running out of time, okay? I really appreciate your call. Uh, The short of it is, and that's part of this conversation, is that outside of the biblical definition of marriage, a husband and wife being together has been something that human beings have done from all time. What I would do is just study what happens in society when when the nuclear family, husband, wife, and kids, breaks down. The whole culture falls apart, and the argument that should have been made back when we were discussing gay marriage, is not the biblical, it should be man and a woman from a biblical standpoint. It should be, I think from Christians, we need to to say to ourselves, hey, if this is true, then it also has cultural implications that are right. Um, We should have looked at it from a how do we build a nation standpoint. That, by the way, is a great question for immigration, for all of these things. What are we doing to build a nation in a way that will be strong? One of those things we need is husbands and wives and a safe and healthy family. That's an excellent topic we will do, and we'll continue it again uh, as soon as we can. Miss um, Martin in L.A., you've been on hold a long time. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to grab your call really quick. Thanks for calling Southern California Live. Yes. Hello, uh, Mr. Furrow. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's, I've been listening to your program, and I've enjoyed it enormously. And you've been very informative on a lot of different subjects to make us conscious and to think uh, uh, about different things that are developing in our society. Thank you. Now, yes, sir. You only got about now, 15 uh, seconds. Okay. Now, this is what I, I'm against gay marriage. I am a Baptist, and I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the thing is that we know homosexuals. And uh, Mr. Furrow, everyone that I know, they are miserable. They say they don't want marriage. They have no business getting it, on and on. We don't tell them that, sir. They, t- they say that, and we see them in, uh, uh, in action, and it has to do with a lot of hypocrisy. i, I got to let you go because I'm out of time. Uh, do you want to hold on? Maybe I can keep this into the next segment. Do you want to hold on for a few minutes longer? Okay, sir, because I'd like to hear All your... Right. I'm going to hold on and bring you back in just a minute, but I have to go to... It's a, it's a hard right. break. Thank you for calling. This is Southern California Live. Hey, we'll continue this in the next segment after the break. This is... I'll, I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.